We'll go ahead and dismiss our kids this morning to Kids Church. You know, as we're singing, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. I think we have this, this mindset that, that we have to, in some way, shape, or form, that we have to, to clean up our lives, that we have to some, somehow fix what's wrong with us before we can come to God. And that could not be further from the truth, that God's grace and God's mercy is so much greater and the, 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 the breadth of his, of his kindness is so much wider than we can possibly comprehend. As a dad, I can finally empathize with the story of the prodigal son. As the, the wayward son comes back to the father, he comes back to the father with the idea that, that you know, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to apologize and I'm going I'm to seek forgiveness and maybe, just maybe, he'll hire me as one of his servants. But as he's coming home, he has this speech prepared and he sees the, the father sees him from a great distance away and the father runs to him. And the father throws a purple robe around him and, and he puts a ring on his finger and he begins to prepare a feast because his son was dead and now is alive. His son was, he, he was lost and now is found. And, and that is just a, a small picture of the love and the compassion that the Lord has for us. And I want you to understand this morning that God does not want you to fix yourself. He does not want you to clean up your act. He wants you to come to the altar. Because His grace is inconceivable. His mercy, His love for you is so beyond anything that you can possibly fathom. Oh, what a Savior. Well, that was all free this morning. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 23. I encourage you to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to continue our study, continue walking through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, last week we saw how, how even, in the most, even in the most horrific and, and uh, difficult passages, we see God's, God's providence, how God preserves a remnant, how, how the Saul and uh, Doeg slaughters all of the priests there at Nob, and, and we, see, we see only one, only one remains. And, and he flees from Saul, and he runs to David, and David says, come, I'll provide you with safety and security. And so this is where we pick up the story. 1 Samuel chapter 23, David and Abiathar are, are there, and they're hiding, they're there. They're holding on for dear life. They're, they're praying to God that Saul doesn't find them. And this is where we pick up the story. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are plundering the threshing floor. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kaleah against the ranks of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once more, 
And the Lord answered, and he said to him, Arise and go down to Kaleah, for I will give the Philistines into your hands. So David and his men went to Kaleah, and they fought with the Philistines, and he led them away and their livestock, and he struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Kaleah. Now it came about that when Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Kaleah, he came down with an ephod in his hand, and when it was told, when it was told Saul that David had come to Kaleah, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself up by entering into a city with double gates and bars. So Saul summoned all of the people of war to go down and besiege David and his men. Skip down to verse 13. Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Kaleah. And they went wherever they could. When it, was told that, when it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kaleah, he gave up his pursuit. And David stayed in the wilderness in the stronghold and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. And thus he said to him, Do not be afraid because the hand of Saul my father shall not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul my father knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horesh while Jonathan went to his house. And the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill country of Hilkalah, which is to the south of Jishimon? Skip down to verse 25. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. And it came, to, it came down to the rock. They stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore, they called that place the Rock of Escape. Let's pray. God, as we read this passage, may we see in your, in your word the unlikely Savior. May we see how your hand is in every aspect of our lives. And may we give you praise for who you are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, I pray that as you leave today, that you will leave with the realization and the understanding that God's hand is in every aspect of your life. That God's hand is, is, is orchestrating and he is either directly or indirectly, he has woven the tapestry of your life in such a way that we cannot escape the sovereignty of God. Now, I want to summarize this story, because as we're reading it, some of you may, may have been like, like, like I was the first time I read through this passage, and like, okay, there's a lot of places, a lot of names, a lot of things, and, and, and I don't have a clue what's going on, preacher. All right, so I'm going to give you the, the, the five 
uh, the five-minute summary of what's going on. So David has fled because Saul is trying to kill him, and he's hiding. And while he is hiding, while he is hiding, he gets word that the Philistines are going to attack this, this city. And the city is in Judah, and, and David's like, should I go and protect this city? After all, Saul's the king. The protection of the people is, is his responsibility, not mine. And so he asked the Lord, he said, God, should, should I go and should I fight the Philistines and protect this city of Judah from, from the onslaught of the Philistines? And so God gives him instructions, and he said, go and fight the Philistines. And he's like, uh, uh, are you sure, God? Because I'm, I'm safe here. If I go and attack the Philistines, surely word's going to get out that, that I'm going and I'm, I'm opened myself up to attack from Saul again. And God says, go and deliver your people. So he goes and he fights the people, I'm sorry, he fights the Philistines and delivers the city. And the inhabitants of that city, after David has delivered them from the hands of the Philistines, the inhabitants of that city sent message, sent word to Saul saying, hey, by the way, the guy you're looking for, he's over here. And so David's like, seriously, people? You know, I, I, I could have allowed the Philistines to destroy you, but I didn't. I came to your aid. And now you're going to betray me? You're going to hand me over to Saul? And so David again runs. He, he escapes by the skin of his teeth. And while he is in hiding, Jonathan shows up and encourages him. And while he is in hiding, again, his countrymen, the people of Israel, sent word to Saul saying, hey, we know where David is. If you want to kill him. We know where he is. We can tell you where he is. So David, David is hiding in the mountains. He is, he is, literally, he is literally in the wilderness hoping that, that, that he can make it till tomorrow. And the Ziphites, the people of Israel, uh, the inhabitants of the land sent word to Saul. Saul pursues David. And just as, as, as David is on one side of the mountain and Saul is on the other side, you can, you can literally see, that as you read through the passage, you can see the noose tightening around David's neck. And then all of a sudden, a messenger comes to Saul and says, Saul, I know you're, you're about to kill David. I know you are, you are on the, the precipice of being able to, to destroy David, but uh, I got some bad news. Uh, the Philistines have, have besieged and they have, they have laid raid to our camp. You, you've got to come. We're being attacked by the Philistines. And so David stops, or Saul stops his pursuit of David in the 11th hour, right before he's about to capture him, and he goes and he deals with the Philistine attack. So this is, this is what is taking place. And I want us to understand, and I want us to see a couple of things in this passage. First of all, I want us to see the contrast of both David and Saul. Now, the text... In the text, David experiences a luxury. David experiences something that, that Saul is not able to experience. First of all, I want us to notice in the, in the text, go with me if you will to Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23, and I want us to see verse 2. I want us to see verse 2. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, it said, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? Now, David is asking of the Lord because David has communion with the Lord. He has a relationship with the Lord. He is experiencing something that, that Saul cannot experience anymore. Remember back earlier in Samuel, whenever Samuel told Saul, he said, from this point on, the Lord will no longer speak to you. The Lord will cut you off from communication. You will no longer hear from the Lord. David 
is able to go to the Lord. He is able to commune with God. He is able to, to ask God, God, do you want me to go to, to, to Kalea? Do you want me to go and deliver them from the hands of the Philistines? God, do you want me to, to, to pursue Saul? God, do you want me to do this? Do you, God, David is able to ask of God his direction. Saul is flying blind. The word of God has been cut off from Saul. Saul no longer has a prophet to speak to him. Saul has killed all the priests. He no longer has an intercessor. He no longer has someone to go to the Lord on his behalf. However, David does not. Even though Saul is the king, even though David is running from his, for his life, even though Saul has all of the power, Saul has all of the influence, Saul has all of the the everything that this world would say, this is what you want, this is what you need, David is able to communicate with God. And that is huge. That is huge. This text contrasts that. We see how as David is able to communicate with God, God is able to deliver, God is able to deliver David from Saul's hands time and time and time again. Just as Saul is about to capture David, God speaks to Saul. God speaks to David, and he's able to deliver himself. He's able to, 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 to run. He's able to hide time and time again. Because David is able to hear from God, God is able to provide and protect David from the hand of Saul. Also want to point out to you, also want to point out to you that David does so. He communicates with God through a priest. Isn't it interesting in, Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 22 that Saul killed all of the priests of God except one? Remember the text? In, Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, Saul killed all of the priests at Nob. Doeg, through the, hand of, uh, through, through the direction of Saul, kills and slaughters all of the priests at Nob except Abiathar. And Abiathar runs and he goes where? To David. There's only one priest left in all of Judah, and he is with whom? David. Only one person to mediate between God and man, only one person that, that, that has the ephod to be able to, 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 to give direction directly from God and because of the act of Saul because of the destruction and the the violence and the the hatred of Saul this priest runs to David this priest is found solace with David the providence of God last week we looked at how God preserves and how God is able to, to, to remain and that there's able to be a remnant that God holds on to. How providential is Abiathar to David now in this text? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. We see this. Interestingly enough, the author of Hebrews says, <clears throat> There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. 
Let us hold fast to our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. God has given us a greater Abiathar. We have a high priest. We have a priest that is interceding on our behalf. We have a priest that we can go to God. We have a priest that we can get direct communion with God and communication with God. I want to point out to you in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, that God has given us a a much better Abiathar. We don't have somebody with an ephod that, that, that we're hoping that maybe we can get direction from. No. We have a high priest named Jesus who we can entreat the Lord in the name of Christ and we are certain that he is going to speak to us and answer us. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 23. I want us to, to see something that, that hopefully will encourage you. <clears throat> now, let us, let us put ourselves in the put ourselves in the shoes of David. He's been anointed king. Samuel said, you'll be king. He slaughtered Goliath. He has risen to to power. And just just before he has married the, the daughter of the king, everything's going wonderful. All of a sudden, spears start getting thrown at his head. Okay, small setback. All of a sudden, the king goes crazy, tries to kill him. Time and time again. So he says, okay, maybe I, need to, maybe I need to change career paths. Maybe I need to get out of, maybe I need to get out of the circumstances and situation I'm in. And so he begins to run for his life. And every time he runs for his life, every time he thinks, okay, maybe my fortunes are changing, spears get thrown at his head again. Maybe my fortunes are changing. He's having to, to, to move from this stronghold to escape certain death. Time and time and time again, David is running for his life. And then, he's told, go and deliver this city from the hands of the Philistines. So he says, maybe, maybe, just maybe, my my fortunes are changing. And he goes and he battles and he is successful. And he has that, that brief moment of, yes. God is still with me. I can still still see the hand of God in my life. And then the very people that he saves betrays him. One of the most hurtful and painful things in our lives are whenever we are betrayed by the people that we care about. The people that we love the dearest have the opportunity to hurt us the most. David has risked his life and the lives of his people the lives of his soldiers, to save these people. And instead of being indebted to David for their life, they betray him and give him over to Saul. You imagine how how deeply that wounded David. Look, I came out of hiding. I attacked these Philistines to, to save you, to save your children and your grandchildren. And now you're going to betray me? Imagine how deeply that wounded David. And then right after that takes place, he is betrayed again by his own countrymen who have have no qualms about about turning David over and they, they sent word to Saul and they say, hey, we know where David's hiding. We'll give him to you. So you've got betrayal on top of betrayal. 
But I want us to notice what is sandwiched right in between that. In 1 Samuel, chapter 23, verse 15, David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life. But while David was in the wilderness of Ziph, at Horeb, Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David. There's something that is very practical that I want us to see right here. Where was David? He was in the wilderness. That's what the text says. Verse 15, at the end of verse 15, it said, While David was in the wilderness, verse 16, Jonathan came to him. So, who was Jonathan? Jonathan was the son of Saul. Jonathan was for David, the very source of, of God's encouragement. Throughout history, God will allow His people to undergo and experience tremendous amount of hardship for His glory. But all the while, God will send Jonathan. He will send a source of encouragement He will send someone, something to encourage his people to keep them from utter and and complete despair. That's who he is. That's what he does. Think back over your life. In the deepest, darkest moments of despair in your life, what has God done? Has he not brought about a Jonathan? Has he not brought about someone in your life to to strengthen you, someone in your life to encourage you. And when he does, he does so as as a reminder of his promises. Notice what David, notice what Jonathan says to David. As David is there in the pit of despair, as he has watched betrayal after betrayal, as he has watched himself being in 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 all of his observation, being given over to the hands of his enemy. He is standing there thinking, God, have you, have you led me out here that I'm going to die in this wilderness, that Saul's going to have success, that Saul's going to be able to destroy me? And what does Jonathan say? Jonathan says, verse 17, Do not be afraid, fear not. The hand of my father shall not find you. God will protect you. God will protect you. I want us to see there are twofold, two two aspects. The, the, The encouragement of Jonathan is two aspects. First, it is in his presence. David is alone. He's in the wilderness. He's just been betrayed by the people that he saved. And God sends him Jonathan. And the very presence of Jonathan is an encouragement to him. I want to encourage you this morning, for for many of us, we know people who have gone through hardships, trial, maybe people who are continuing to go through hardships, trial, and and you're, you're looking around and you say, well, preacher, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. 
They've just lost their husband. They're, they've just lost their son. They're, they're, their children are, are caught in the midst of addiction. They're, their children are running from God. They are running from God. They are going through hardship. I, I don't have anything to say to them. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. You just have to be there. I can promise you this. There's nothing that, I, that, that, that me, that I as a pastor can say to somebody who's in the deepest, darkest aspects of grief that can bring any comfort because I don't have the answer. But simply being there to cry with them, to allow them to cry on your shoulder, to be there, to help them clean up after the mess, simply by your presence, God will use you as a source of encouragement. But I also want us to see that Jonathan encourages David with God's word. He says that David's hand, I'm sorry, that Saul's hand will not find you. He encourages him with God's promise that God will never leave you nor forsake you. If God has anointed you, if God has begun a good work, he will see it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. In the reality of, of God's comfort, he comforts us with his word. And while the presence of God is indeed comforting for Jonathan, for David, the word of God is forever comforting. And as we are in the pit of despair, we are comforted by God's word. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to see how Paul is encouraged. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, Paul says this, at my first defense, no one supported me. All deserted me. But don't count it against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles may hear that I was delivered from the mouth of the lion. Paul is able to say, you know, in the midst of my deepest, darkest despair, God was with me. God was with me. So as we go back to our text in 1 Samuel, David is he is in the midst of betrayal, and God sends him Jonathan. And I want to point out to you that this is the last time that David will ever see Jonathan. This is it. The end of this, the end of this correspondence, it tells us, and, and the, the, the text is very, it's very interesting. Because it says that, that David, verse 18, the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horish while Jonathan went home. I think it's interesting that Jonathan indeed would go home to his eternal home. This is the last time David and Jonathan would ever see each other. What a source of encouragement it was for David. Well, as the reader reads this text, we see again David running for his life. He is in the, the wilderness and, and Saul's men are closing in on him. And, and you see the, the, you can read and you can see the, the, the tension there. 
And as David is running and Saul is pursuing and David is running and Saul is pursuing and all of a sudden they, it, it culminates and, and they're on the top of this mountain and David's on one side of the mountain hiding and Saul's on the other side of the mountain pursuing and you can see the noose is getting tighter and David's death is imminent and Saul is getting closer and closer and, and you, can, you can see and feel the tension. And then in the 11th hour, a messenger shows up. Saul, I hate to interrupt your pursuit. I know that you are you are right there. But the Philistines have showed up. And I want to point out to you the irony. How does the text begin? God sends David to attack whom? I'll give you a hint. It starts with P and ends with Philistines. God sends David to attack the Philistines because the Philistines are the enemy of God. They are pursuing and attacking the people of God. That's how the text begins. And here at the very end, see the irony that God sends whom to be the Savior of David? The Philistines. Do you see the irony? The Savior for David is the very people who he began this text attacking, who he began this text delivering the people of Israel from. In verse 1, the Philistines are the enemy. In verse 27, the Philistines are the Savior. What? This should point out to us a very core principle throughout all of Scripture. God is our Savior. God is our Deliverer. God is our Redeemer. All throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites misplaced their faith and their fidelity Whenever Moses came down from the mountain, the Israelites had made a golden calf. And they said, this is the God who delivered us from the hand of Pharaoh. And Moses said, are you kidding me? They had misplaced their faith and their fidelity. All throughout the Old Testament, we see Israel misplacing their faith and their fidelity. In the New Testament, we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite place their faith and their fidelity where? In the law of God, hoping that maybe the law would deliver them from from certain death. And God reminds them time and time again that it is not the law that saves you. It is Jesus who saves you. God is our Savior. It is not the Philistines. It is not David. It is not the judges. There is no other Savior but God. He says, I can use whomever to save you. And we see this never more evident than here in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Whenever the spies were sent into the land of, of uh, whenever the spies were sent into the land of flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, and God sent them in. He said, go and spy out the land. As soon as they get there, their their safety and their health has come under immediate attack. And who is their savior? A prostitute 
hiding, living in the walls. And she hides the people of Israel. She hides the spies and protects them. All throughout Scripture, we see God using unlikely people to be the deliverer, to demonstrate and remind the people of God that no one and nothing is your Savior but me. I am the one who delivers. I am the one who saves. I am the one who destroys death. God is our Savior. Verse 14, I want us to see this right in the middle of the text. David stayed in the wilderness and the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Right in the middle, right in the middle of the text, we're reminded God is in control. So this morning, church, I want you to hear this. God is working in ways that you cannot possibly fathom. One day, the Philistines are your enemy. The next day, they are your savior. One day you are betrayed and you are as in deep, as dark as despair that you can possibly be. The next day, Jonathan knocks at your door and says, I'm here to encourage you. My father will not put his hands upon you. One day you don't know how you're going to be able to make it to the next day and then the next day somebody shows up at your house with a king cake. One day you have no idea how you're going to make the, 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 the next utility payment. And somebody shows up with a check. In the deepest, darkest betrayal and despair, God shows up and encourages you. The greatest news of the gospel is this. Romans chapter 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, the reality is, is that we're not David. We're not a man after God's own heart. We're not anointed to be the next king of Israel. In fact, the scripture tells us that we are, by definition, enemies of God. We are born into this world in sin, given the choice we would, rather, we would rather wallow in our sin and our self-depravity than run after God every day of the week. But God said, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, I want to be your deliverer. I want to be your Savior. I have been working in your life long before you even knew that, that, that there was a God who was working. I have been orchestrating and preparing everything to bring you to myself. And this morning, God desires to be your Savior because He is the only Savior. I want to finish with Psalm chapter 91. You know, for David, the circumstances are still very bleak. He is still hiding in the midst of the mountain. He is still running for his life. And for him, it still seems awfully dark. 
But sometimes the darkness is the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 91, chapter 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Sometimes the darkness that we are in is the shadow of God's omnipotent hand. And we need to trust Him. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You use unlikely people, circumstances, to be our deliverer. We thank you that even in the midst of the darkness, we can see the shadow of your omnipotent hand. Lord, there are those here this morning who by your grace and by your mercy have been brought near to the cross. You're out there this morning And you know that you're in need of mercy and grace. I want to invite you to come. The scripture says, the scripture says that Jesus said, All those who come to me, I will in no wise cast them out. There are those of you this morning who've been betrayed, you've been hurt, you're in the deepest, darkest pain that you can possibly ever be in. And this morning, God is sending Jonathan. Through his presence and through his promises, God is encouraging you. Maybe you need to be Jonathan for someone else. Maybe you need to bring a king cake to someone else. Maybe you need to be that source of encouragement. Maybe you need to be the presence of God, the word of God for someone else. Maybe this morning God has delivered you through an unlikely Savior. But let us remember that God is our Savior. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you this morning and calling you to be a part of what He's doing right here at Redeemer. Maybe the Lord is calling you to be obedient by being baptized. As we sing a hymn of invitation, I pray this morning that you would be obedient to the Spirit of God. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy, and that you speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.